0: From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on Your Health. I'm Tom Clark, here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor, here to talk with you about what's new in healthy living, share some down to earth advice, and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for Zorba, the number to call is 1 800 462 7413. Of course, along with their calls, some topics to talk about Zoba.
1: Yes, abdominal fat, belly fat in women. What does it mean even if you're a normal weight and you've got a normal BMI, which is sort of the way we measure weight and height? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about medical imaging in the United States and Canada. What does it mean if you're pregnant and you're actually told to get an X-ray or a CAT scan? And how that's changed over a period of the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And our uh, yummy recipe. Oh, yeah. A new way of looking at a traditional recipe, avocado potato salad. My mother didn't even know what an avocado was. I mean, did your mother know what an avocado was? No not idea. And no no idea. idea. It was like, and yet my children and my grandchildren made avocado, avocado, avocado. But anyway, a new way of looking at a traditional delicious thing. that we
0: I don't need avocados in my life.
1: Obviously, you are not an avocado <laughs> fan. But if you are, it's a great recipe. Let's
0: go to the phones now, Zorba, at 800-462-7413, 1-800-462-7413. Our first listener is on the phone with us now, a caller from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Hi, how can we help?
2: Well, I have something interesting that happened to me recently with my hands. It happened about uh, three, four months ago, and it's getting a little bit worse. But what's interesting about it is, It came on very suddenly in both hands. I have uh, a lot of stiffness in my hands, Mm -hmm. and mainly in my fingers, I should say, and it's mainly in the joints.
1: You have stiffness. What time does it bother you the
2: most? The stiffness and the swelling uh, feeling is during the day, and that doesn't bother me. But at night, when I wake up in the morning, the hands are very, very, very sore. I should say my my fingers are very, very sore in the joints. Uh, but what's interesting is they if I move them back and forth massage them for a little bit, maybe 20, 15, 20 minutes, they feel like they do all day, which is just kind of stiff and swollen. Mm-hmm. There's no pain during the day. Uh, how old are you? I'm in my early 60s. Did you take anything for it, any medication at all? No, I've been taking no medications at all, and I don't take anything for this. I don't even take aspirins for it because... It, it, when I, uh, like say, when after I get the fingers going in the morning, yeah. during the day they just they they don't there's no pain, but they they feel like they're swollen, but they're not. Right, you know, they, right. It,
1: well, first of all, in your sixties, most people, many people, I would say, certainly more than fifty percent of the people, when they reach the age of sixty, develop osteoarthritis, and osteoarthritis are pain and discomfort, swelling, stiffness in the morning in the hands and joints, often in the hands, sometimes in the knees and the feet and the legs, and often when you Get up in the morning. It takes about twenty to thirty minutes if you've got significant osteoarthritis for things to ungel. They're kind of gelled when you get up, and it just takes a while to get things going after a long nights. You know, a long nights. Uh, you know, where you're actually where you're actually sleeping. So that's probably what you have. Now, there are other things that this can be too. It can be rheumatoid arthritis, but it sounds more like osteoarthritis. And the real issue is you've managed to, ta- to deal with it without taking a medication, which really kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, you don't want to take an anti-inflammatory unless you actually need to do it. But it sounds like osteoarthritis to me. That's what it sounds like.
2: Yeah, well, this was helpful. I I just kind of wanted to understand it. I didn't think it was something to go to the doctor for it right away. Just, uh, but I, it, it was so strange it happened so quickly. But your 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 explanation is very clear and and is very helpful.
1: Well, thank you very much. And you did go to the doctor. I'm the doctor.
2: <laughs> I don't <laughs> just play a doctor the Oh yeah, on I, the I, radio. I did. I did. I, I did go to the doctor. <laughs> You're correct. You're correct.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks for your yeah, call.
2: Thank you.
0: Yep. Thank you. Yep. 800-462-7413. I
1: don't just play a doctor in the radio. I am a doctor. one eight hundred four six two seven four one three.
0: 462 7413 Zorba, before our next call, we talk about belly fat in women.
1: Right. You know, it's very interesting. You know, we look at BMI and we go, okay, a BMI over 25 uh, means that you're overweight. And so between 25 and 29 or 30, we say you're overweight or we might use the bad term obesity. And then over 30, we say you're definitely obese. And it's quite interesting because BMI, 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 what does it mean? Mm-hmm. So I often, I still work as a family doc and I'll have young guys in my practice who are muscular, they're athletes and they'll come in and their BMI is maybe 27 or 28, 29, and they're not overweight, they're just muscular. And so, you can't look at those guys and say, Hey, you're overweight because your BMI is 28. Your BMI should be 25 because the fact is BMI doesn't mean everything. So in this particular case, they looked at women with a normal BMI. And this is part of a large study, the Nurses' Health Study, looking at about 150,000, 160,000 postmenopausal women enrolled in the study initially in 1993 through 1998. Okay, looked at them looked at the data, normal BMI. But when they measured, when they looked at their body, they didn't just look at their BMI, they looked at their waist circumference or their belly, not their waist, excuse me, their belly circumference. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to see whether or not abdominal fat made a difference, okay? Did that make a difference? We know abdominal fat isn't good for you. We know males especially, it's not good for you, that it, it is a risk factor for heart attack and stroke. So women who had a normal BMI, that is 20, 25 and below, okay? Normal BMI that had abdominal fat, they had a, a belly circumference greater than 35 inches, okay? So normal BMI, belly circumference greater than 35 inches. They were at risk for sudden death from heart attacks and strokes, So in other words, their BMI was normal, but their belly fat was present. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important study. And that once again, it's an observational study. These are, but these are about 157, 160,000 women that were looked at. Because part of the issue is we say often in our office, okay, your BMI is normal. You're okay. In other words, you don't, weight is not a risk for Mm -hmm. you. The fact is that may be wrong. It may be, it's not just that, it's measuring abdominal fat. That makes a difference. How big is your belly? So women who have a larger belly, greater than 35 inches, but have a normal weight are still at an increased risk for heart attack and stroke, just like somebody who may be, quote, obese.
0: So women should uh, get a tape measure when they go to the doc? Well,
1: that's the answer. The answer is yeah. that. And the answer is, you come to your doctor, you're going for a preventive care. You mm-hmm. want to know, okay, should I be checked for mammogram for, for breast cancer? Yes. But a woman who is 55 is much more likely to actually die of a heart attack than die of breast cancer these days. So, I mean, you worry about breast cancer, you don't worry about heart attacks. As an example, women who smoke, think about having a mammogram for breast cancer. They don't realize that smoking cigarettes is a major risk factor. What we want to do with this, and we take this broadly, is women should measure their belly. Mm-hmm. If it's greater than 35 inches, it means there are risk for heart attack. Well, that strong.
0: 35 inches holds true whether a woman is a very, very svelte, skinny yes.
1: woman right. or, a be- or a heavier woman. Right. That's exactly what it is. And so... Once again, what does that mean then? Well, that means you've got to pay more attention to diet, more attention to exercise, look at your cholesterol, look at your blood pressure, look at your other risk factors, and also it means that even though you're at a normal BMI, you might still have to lose some weight because you've
0: got to lose some weight in that belly. Got it. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 1-800-462-7413. And now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hi.
3: Hi, uh, Tom and Dr. Zorba. Love your show. Listen to you every week. (laughs) Thank you. Thank uh, you. I have had a real crazy thing go on here. Uh, I was just 73 years old. Mm -hmm. I've never been sick in my life, really, Mm -hmm. other than colds, whatever. Six weeks ago, I... Uh, after I did my miles in the morning I came home. You're
1: miles. So you mean, you mean you're a, a runner or a jogger?
3: Walking. And I, of course, go to the to the doctor, and for six weeks I'm in tremendous pain in my right hip, mm-hmm. the side, MRI, x-ray, everything. No one can figure out what was wrong with me. So now I'm back in the pink again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm it gradually up to three and a half miles and back at the gym, but mm-hmm. I, this this was the scariest episode sure, I've ever sure, experienced.
1: Sure my loss, yeah, pain like that is is really really scary. So they did an X ray of course at the beginning, and yes. then they did an MRI to see whether or not there may be something going on in your bone, and there was no answer yeah. to that. So, yes. um, but I've got an idea of what actually I think promptly going. Did they give you a diagnosis, or did they say, well, we just don't know what it is, or did they give you a tentative diagnosis?
3: The last thing, and this is going over a six-week period, mm-hmm. I go to pain clinic. So mm-hmm. the, uh, the uh, diagnostician mm-hmm. at pain clinic said, oh, you seem to be walking pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to charge you today, and we're not going to do this pain treatment. Just mm-hmm. do your exercises. And uh-huh. They gave me a list of exercises to do. And mm-hmm. that was it that I have heard from no one
1: since yeah, I've got an idea. By the way, what was their pain treatment? What were they going to do?
3: you know gonna- she wouldn't tell me? She said, if I tell you, I have to charge you. <laughs> if I
1: tell you, I have to charge you. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. That's- oh, yeah. As soon as I say the word, like, agoraphobia, that's it. $12, $100. If I say agor- agoraphobia and panic attacks, I get paid by the diagnoses twice <laughs> as much.
3: It, 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 I've got a better one for you, Dr. Zorba. The, uh, the pain was so bad uh, a couple nights uh, that... I, I was almost in tears, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't cry. And uh, at this point, in my in my life, you know. And they said to me, they wouldn't give me any pain medication mm-hmm. other than tramadol, mm-hmm. fifty milligrams. Didn't work. Uh, that if I get have so much pain to go th- through emergency mm-hmm. room. <laughs>
1: Yeah, really not. That's that's really not the answer. And by the way, you know, uh, uh, we're, you know we're, we gave too many opioids for many years, but there is a place for hydrocodone and oxycodone. And that's in short term for, for pain. So here's what I think is probably okay. went on. First of all, imaging doesn't show everything. It shows many things. So MRI scans miss things. They don't see them. X-rays miss things. They don't see them. CT scans will find things the MRI and the X-ray doesn't see. They can all miss what's called a capsulitis. And a capsulitis is an information within the capsule itself, within the joint of the hip. And we know, for instance, uh, that young children who don't walk properly on their hip. Often we'll have a capsulitis. You know, it's, a, it's an inflammation, may be viral, often is not bacterial, uh, that occurring can cause pain. So one possible diagnosis, I'm not going to put it in the probable range because we don't prove it, is you had a viral capsulitis. You had a virus that went in there. It affected your joint. Your joint became inflamed. It was painful. It got better. Now, we don't, sometimes we'll have a measurement of that with something called a sedimentation rate, a sed rate. Rheumatologists will look at it. But just like in rheumatology, there's no blood test that shows you have rheumatic, uh, that you have rheumatoid arthritis. It's really a, a way of looking at the joints. There's uh-huh. no test to absolutely show you had a capsulitis, but that's most likely what it was. The other possibility uh-huh. was you had a tendonitis. Yeah, you know, that went with the tendons and the ligaments there. But these were self limiting disease for which our imaging studies doesn't sh- don't show anything. And they often last for about six to eight weeks. And there you go. That's yeah. your that's your likely
0: diagnosis. So.
3: Great. Thank you, Doctor Zorba. Thanks. You guys
4: are great. You guys are hey, fabulous. Th-
0: thanks so much for the call. Zorba will send you a bill.
4: <laughs>
2: that's right.
1: That's right. I said the name, I can send the bill. Thanks so much. <laughs> I
0: love it. Now before the break, Zorba, time for the segment where you clarify something a listener has read on the Internet. This is Google Doc. Okay, Zorba, this I is I need great.
1: a hat. I need a hat that says Google Doc on my hat. You know, that's what I need. I need a Google Doc hat.
0: Well, maybe we can get you one. Maybe. That would be great. <laughs> now, we're going for a twofer. The first email came to us from Lynette in California. She writes, Dear Dr. Zorba and Tom, Trusting your and wisdom, Tom, I love it, <laughs> dear
1: Doctor Zorba. Anton, see?
0: <laughs> well, not, I'm, I shouldn't have said Anton. Trusting your wisdom and comments, I have no wisdom. <laughs> I, I have no common sense. Anyway, the the listener continues. I'm going to let you decide whether or not everyone in my family needs daily celery juice on an empty stomach for the rest of their lives. Dr. Google leans toward the unequivocal (laughs) evidence that it will cleanse the liver. And lead to a perfect life. What say you two?
1: Well, you just heard my answer. <laughs> Next question, Tom. I don't <laughs> want to
0: expand on that uh, uh, <laughs>
1: celery juice is simply it's a vegetable. It doesn't have any anything potent in it. There's nothing unusual about it. It is not special. <laughs> it does begin with the letter C. And if you like the letter C, that's cool. But there's not much in celery anyway. There are a few nutrients in celery. So
0: I would say, uh uh-uh. Got it. Finally, Zorba, Bruce in Spring Grove, Minnesota writes, Zorba, I like beets, and as an endurance athlete, the benefits of beet juice are widely touted but without any clear authority on the how much or when to consume it. When eating them regularly, my weight goes from good to outstanding, and my blood pressure seems to react similarly. But my question (laughs) is, how much do I need to consume, in what form, and when to realize a performance benefit while biking, running, or swimming?
1: Well, first of all, if you want the authority, you go to the National Beet Council. I'm sure they'll tell you that beets every day are the right thing to eat. If you want to go to another authority, go to my wife, Penny, who says, I hate beets. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll say, no beets are important for performance. You know, beets, uh, they're vegetable. They're a sweet vegetable. Mm-hmm. I mean, beet sugar, of course, was a, a common source of making sugar. In fact, more than 100 years ago in Madison, Wisconsin, they were producing something like 50 tons a year of sugar from beets until basically some other state ended up ended up taking it over. So, beets are good, they're a wonderful vegetable, do they work for performance? One of the things that I know about performance is that a variety of different athletes say try this Try that. Try this. Try that. It makes a difference. And when it comes to performance, even though we don't have science, I think anecdotal uh, information and anecdotal stuff makes a difference. So if you find beets really will make a difference, take them and eat them every day or eat the beet juice. Now, how much should you eat? I'll leave that (laughs) up to
0: you. But you don't think that beets are any better for you than other vegetables?
1: No, but I love beets. I mean, I think they're a really good vegetable. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing is a variety of fruit and vegetables a day and and if this particular person noted that when they eat beets, they actually slim down and they feel better and they feel stronger. By all means, keep beets in your diet, but i 'll tell you something it ain 't going in my wife 's diet because she will never eat them
0: How does Zorba always have helpful answers for people? Well, beats me. feel free to post on our Facebook page or send us an email at... These jokes are going to kill me. Zorba at
1: WPR.org or through Facebook.
0: Our delicious potato salad recipe coming up. Without beets. Without beets. Without
1: missing missing a (laughs) beat, we will have a potato salad
0: recipe. More of your calls, too, of (laughs) course. Right here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. The Public Radio Exchange. here with family doc zorba pastor on zorba pastor on your health the number to call if you have a question for zorba is 1-800-462-7413 1-800-462-7413 but zorba before our next call Avocado potato salad. Now, I can tell from the way you said avocado
1: that avocado is not your favorite thing.
0: Why don't you go ahead and I'll just go in the other room for a while.
1: <laughs> I love avocados. What do you have against avocados? They I, just,
0: I, As you made reference yeah, to earlier, yeah, uh-huh. as I was growing up, yeah. I never had an avocado. Of course not.
1: Of course I don't even know if they existed. I don't know if humans well, ever found and, avocados.
0: And now I'm days. much too old to try anything <laughs> That's new. That's to try anything
4: new.
1: I mean, it's avocado everything. You know, here it is. And the biggest thing like in New York City is avocado toast. Go over here and Instead of getting buttered toast for like 2 you get avocado toast for eight ninety five. And they <laughs> butter with avocados, throw some stuff on it, make it really fancy looking, and charge you a lot of money. Okay. But I happen to love avocados. Mm-hmm. And if you like avocados, this is a way of looking at a traditional recipe. And potato salad is a traditional recipe. Now, my Aunt Molly, may she rest in peace, was at a family picnic. And her potato salad was, it was okay. It mm-hmm. was okay. But, you know, when you're at a family picnic, you always have to compliment everyone one's (laughs) dish and I said and I said you're you know just what I'm talking about that's why I don't have any friends (laughs) I've never complimented (laughs) anybody On anything. <laughs> That's right. That's why you're singular. That's why nobody invites you to my restaurant. That's right. That's because right. you never compliment the dish. So I went up to her and I said, That potato salad dish is really special. What did you put in it? And she said, It's my special recipe. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this recipe I will share with you and, um, and maybe Tom will compliment it. At the, at the end, so you get it by we'll, we'll see. Okay. Start out with two pounds of small reds, red potatoes, quartered. Use red potatoes. They're creamier. Um, they're, they're really best. Don't use Idaho's. Use reds.
0: Two pounds, small red potatoes, quartered. Now, if you want
1: bacon... And Mm -hmm. some people want bacon, some people don't want bacon. Some people want turkey bacon, some people want regular bacon. You would use six bacon strips cooked and crumbled. Once again, your choice, bacon or not.
0: Six bacon strips, maybe, cooked and crumbled.
1: That's right, that's right. My wife, Penny, would not want bacon Mm -hmm. in her potato salad. Uh, Six green onions, thinly sliced.
0: Six green onions, thinly
1: sliced. Two medium ripe avocados, peeled, pitted, and divided.
0: To medium ripe avocados peeled and pitted divided. So what does divided you, mean? Yeah,
1: uh, well, can of cut into chunks.
0: Oh, Divide okay.
1: okay. Uh, now, when you peel your avocado, are you careful to really take it out carefully from from the shell of, of the avocado? M-
4: moving, right it, along. moving right along.
1: <laughs> Half a cup of sour cream, low-fat if you desire, but usually I would use regular sour Half cream. Half a cup sour cream. You could substitute uh, low-fat uh, Greek yogurt, non, uh, you know, a non-sugary, mm-hmm. just plain Greek yogurt in this if you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, two tablespoonfuls of milk. Two big tea milk. Two big tea mayonnaise. Two big tea mayonnaise. One one teaspoon stone ground mustard.
0: A little tea? Stone ground Three mustard. What a, a stone teaspoon.
1: ground mustard. Uh- you don't know what stone ground mustard no. is? It's mustard that is tastes differently than regular mustard. It has a more robust taste. It's yellow, but it's more brown than yellow. You've never tasted stone ground mustard? If I have, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a second. Wait a second. You eat brats, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, when you have brats, have you ever noticed sometimes the mustard is darker, is browner? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's stone ground mustard.
0: Yeah. Can, Can we toss we this a, and do a broad recipe I'm, instead?
1: I'm sorry. No, we are not making a broad recipe. Oh, okay. Moving right along, three-quarters yeah. of a teaspoon of salt. Three-quarter little tea salt. You've had salt before, haven't you? That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Quarter teaspoon of pepper. A quarter little tea pepper. A tablespoonful of minced chives and six cloves of minced garlic. Six cloves okay. of
0: minced garlic.
1: That's it. Right. You did that really well, putting through a garlic press. Okay. <laughs> Let's make it. Putting it together. Place the potatoes in a large saucepan, cover with water, bring to a bowl, reduce the heat, simmer for 15 or 20 minutes, drain and cool, okay? mm-hmm. just like you would make reds. Now, in a large bowl, combine the potatoes that you've cut up into chunks, bacon if you want to, onions for sure, okay? You put that mm-hmm. in, obviously, so mix it all up. For the dressing, in a food processor, combine the avocado, sour cream, milk, mayonnaise, mustard, salt and pepper. Process until it's blended. And after it's blended, stir in the garlic and the chives. After Mm -hmm. it's blended, that's what you do. Pour that over the potato mixture. Toss it to coat. And the remaining avocado, you only use half the avocado that you've cubed up. Half you put in the, in the uh, making the dressing and half you've done. Just the remaining cubed avocado just gently serve into the potato salad. So people will see chunks of avocado. And they'll immediately know mm-hmm. that you have made a special potato salad. And if they ask you for the recipe, unlike my Aunt Molly, you have to give it to them.
0: A, lot of, you- a lot of ingredients there. People don't didn't all take that down. <laughs> Well, what, what can they do?
1: Well, that's their problem. <laughs> <They get laughs> You're not, right. Their, but, <laughs> yeah. but if they want to solve their problem, go to Zorbapastor.org. That's Zorbapastor.org. Or, of course, you can always find us through Facebook.
0: And we go back to the phones now at 1-800-462-7413. A listener with us in Delafield, Wisconsin. Hi.
4: I have a question regarding taking Sena tablets. I'm taking two of them a day. Uh, This is down from taking four a day and two divided doses when I was in the hospital. Um, I tried to do some research on, you know, how long I can take these without overstimulating my intestine, my bowel, Mm -hmm. but I can't find any research. So it just keeps saying, don't take it uh, too long because your bowel will be overstimulated. I wanted to know if you had any information about this at all, or if you could give me some clues on what long mean.
1: First of all, what were you in the hospital
4: for? I had a ruptured disc, a T10, and I was losing all functionality of my legs. And eventually, I was basically like a paraplegic. When I went into the hospital, they did emergency surgery to get rid of the compression. Uh, And I have what's called cauda equina syndrome.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, I am getting better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank God. (laughs) But, you know, trying to decide, you know, What is too long? I don't want to get stuck with having to take this stuff for the rest of my life.
1: Absolutely. I've got some suggestions for you. First of all, have you been on Miralax? Did you try Miralax, by the way?
4: I tried some Miralax. Uh, The problem is I can't really tolerate it very well.
1: Why not? I feel really
4: ill from it.
1: uh, Ill meaning what? What kind of symptoms do you have from it?
4: Nausea. Uh, My stomach feels very uncomfortable.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. and what about Metamucil? Tell me about that.
4: I haven't tried Metamucil.
1: Okay, I've got a couple suggestions. So first of all, right, you want you don't want to continue with the stimulative. Uh, uh, you know stimulative for your bowel for the rest of your life because eventually your bowel becomes used to it. And there's no clear idea of how long that should be. So you're right. When you look at the research and the reason is nobody's done a double blind placebo control trial. You have half the people on Senna, which is very mild, half the people not on Senna. And the issues really came more with things like XLAX where people would take it every single day and Carter's little liver pill, which was the same thing which had phenolic Thaline, which were stimulative uh, cathartic. So they were kind of different in that way. What I would recommend doing is start with some Miralax. Take a tablespoonful in the morning. See if that works. Maybe if that works, go up to two. Maybe go up to three. See if you can move up to a scoop without getting nauseous. You may only tolerate one or two tablespoonfuls. Then taper down on the Senna and see whether or not you can substitute Miralax. That's a name brand. Comes in a generic for the Senna. If that doesn't work, do the same thing with Metamucil and see whether or not you can do it. And the goal again is just to gradually taper off the Senna, But like I said, there's no absolute. People are often on this for three to six months and do just fine. You don't want to be on, a, on it for a year or two. And if you're getting better from the cauda equina syndrome, which is really the nerves that are in that lower part of your spine being compressed, you will eventually get back to normal bowel function.
4: Oh, okay. All right.
1: I hope that helps. And the reason why you couldn't find an exact amount of time to, you know, that people should be on is that there really is no information that actually gives you that number. We just say use it on a temporary basis. Now, I must tell you, when I have older people in the nursing home who don't have bowel movements, who are 80 and 90 years old, they often will be on Senna for a very long time or the rest of their lives. You're not 80 or 90, so your goal mm. is to move is to move off of it on a very gradual, slow basis and substitute these other
0: things. Thanks so much. We appreciate that call. Now before the break, Zorba, let's check the Zorba Pastor on Your Health Facebook page. It's time to fire up the segment we call Facebook Feedback.
1: Facebook feedback.
0: First, uh, Teresa in Florida writes, I was wondering what your thoughts are on multiple chemical sensitivity. I have an awful time with scented laundry products and air fresheners, whether they're plug-in or aerosol. I can taste them, or maybe it's the chemicals that are used to make them. They cause my lips and tongue to get numb, and my throat burns. Certain lipsticks do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I can't use an antiperspirant deodorant that's made for women, but most of the ones made for men don't bother me. My AC is running, my throat is burning, because my neighbor's clothes dryer is spewing out poisonous (laughs) gas from their dryer sheets. (laughs) Are there any supplements or suggestions? I'm hoping I can find a face mask with activated (laughs) charcoal (laughs) filters.
1: Well, first of all, there are, a lot, there are a number of people who have chemical sensitivities, mm-hmm. and they really, it's not an allergy, but it certainly is a discomfort. So I may put on, we'll say, some cologne. smells good to me, but it doesn't smell good to somebody else. And uh, we don't have good ways of testing it, but people know when they have it and when they don't have it. And frankly, it's staying away from those chemicals that make a difference. And that's, that's about the best you can do. Now, If you're living in a house and somebody is using dryer sheets and that's going into your house, that's where you have to have a neighborly discussion and see what are you going to do with this. Is there any way that we can come to an agreement where you won't use the dryer sheets when I'm in the house? You'll use it nighttime and so on. I mean, that's the only way to really handle that. There are a number of businesses that ask people in the business to please refrain from all cologne and all perfume because they're in close quarters, they're in elevators, and they don't like the smell. And the, the thing with chemical sensitivity is there is no supplement. The best thing is basically a mask. Now, one of the masks you can use that may work is a mask called an N99. N is an n 99 hmm. And those masks, for instance, are masks that we use uh, to prevent tuberculosis, tuberculosis. Uh, from actually entering the body if you're actually in a room with somebody with TB. And that probably would be a recommendation I would have. And that might help chemically when you're doing something that you know may be bothersome. But, you know, good luck. This is a really difficult problem. There's so many smells in our environment. And you look at it, people put smells everywhere, just everywhere, all over the place. Uh, You know, deodorizers everywhere. So it's a
0: problem. Finally, Susan in Phillips, Wisconsin writes... Hi, Dr. Z and Tom, a lesson we learned in basic training. Shower with shampoo, it doesn't have a residue like bar soap does, and it makes G.I.ing the shower much easier. (laughs) (laughs)
1: G.I.ing. Shower with shampoo doesn't have a residue. I don't think bar soap has a residue either. If you wash it off your body, there is no residue. (laughs) I mean, it may be when you're an 18-year-old, 19-year-old G.I., you just jump in the shower and you jump off, and you have a residue if you use bar soap. But water actually removes the residue of soap on your body.
0: Whatever the soap might be. That's right. That's right. How does Zorba feel about shampooing his lovely mustache?
3: <laughs> Gee,
0: I don't know. Maybe ask him on our Facebook page or you can always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org
1: and that's a bit of a personal question.
0: <laughs> More of your calls coming up, of course. Another interesting topic to talk about and we'll be quacking up. All right here on Zorba on Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. I'm Tom Clark, here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. The number to call if you have a question for Zorba, 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, you want to talk about uh, too many x-rays during pregnancy. Right,
1: that's exactly right. Now, we know, I want to talk a little bit about x-rays. We know less x ray less taking x-rays. Fewer x-rays are better because we know ionizing radiation, which is what you get through x-rays, can ultimately lead, over time, possibly to cancer. Mm -hmm. Now, during pregnancy, if a woman gets a CT scan for any reason, not an ultrasound, which does not use ionizing radiation of x-rays, but a CT scan, it puts the fetus at risk Mm -hmm. over time, because it might be that that x-ray, over a certain amount of time, over 10 or 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, is going to affect and possibly cause cancer in the future. Mm. And so the fewer x-rays you do, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. So ultrasound pretty much replaced a lot of x-rays. Back in the day, we're talking about 30 and 40 years ago, we never do x-rays to see the position of the baby in the womb. We look at, we do ultrasound. However, when you look at the actual data, you find out, and this is information that came from JAMA, that both in the U.S. and in Canada, the number of CAT scans that are done on women, has doubled and in some cases tripled over the last 20 years. Which is not good. Now, the CT scans that are done are done for medical reasons. It might be it might be a kidney stone or we're looking at gallbladder or we're looking at some other things. But it's really a call to the fact that we're giving too many x-rays to women when they're pregnant overall. And uh, there's an acronym about this, which is that we are victims of medical information technology, VOMIT. That's the acronym <laughs> that's on there. And it's because we are taking too much information and looking for too much information and doctors are not, and nurse practitioners and PAs are not depending on clinical judgment, and it's a rush to judgment, let's do a CT scan. Never thinking about the fetus that's in the mom. Hmm. Well, how many x-rays
0: is too many x
1: Any x-ray is too many when you're pregnant unless you need it. And that's the bottom line. In other words, the bottom line from this is if somebody, if you're pregnant and you go to the doctor and they say, we want to do a CT scan, not for the pregnancy. It's done for other things. You have to say, can you make that decision without the x-ray? That's how it begins to cut down. There's really no explanation as to why it's doubled and tripled over the last, you know, uh, over the last decade, decade hmm. and a half, except for the fact that we do more CT and X rays overall. So when you go to the emergency room, it's very common to end up getting a CT or an X ray. And a pregnant woman should always say, is this X ray necessary? If not, I want clinical judgment used instead of ionizing radiation that may harm my
0: fetus in the future. 800 462 7413, our number. That's 1 800 462 7413. Back to the phones now, Zorba, a listener with us in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi.
4: Hi, Tom and Zorba.
0: How can we help?
5: I thought I was a perfectly healthy, physically and socially active 69-year-old until seven weeks ago I got a diagnosis of osteoporosis, mm-hmm. which totally blindsided me. It's a negative 2.7 in my hips and a negative 2.3 In my spine, Mm -hmm. I'm on 70 milligrams of Fosamax Uh weekly. Mm -hmm. Now, is the life expectancy still only 15 years for
4: that level of osteoporosis? Oh, you mean are you worried that
1: your life expectancy is reduced by osteoporosis? Yes. No, not at all. Where did you get that information? Let me guess, my ner- the nurse, My nurse
4: practitioner told me that.
1: Absolutely not the case. Your life expectancy is not reduced by osteoporosis. Your nurse practitioner oh was wrong. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's what my nurse protect-
4: practitioner told me.
1: Well, he or she is absolutely 100% wrong, period. Oh, that's
4: a relief.
1: Yeah, well, it should be a relief. I mean, osteoporosis does not reduce life expectancy. Now osteoporosis and your numbers show you have osteoporosis the treatment is twofold number one Fosamax. Uh, full disclosure, it's a drug we actually tested in our office before it came to market. Uh, very good drug. It's now a generic. You take it once a week. You take it for five years. After five years, stop taking it. Doesn't do any good. It decreases the continuation of the osteoporosis. And for many women, a DEXA study done five years later, we actually show an improvement. Okay. Now, what do we care about with osteoporosis? We care about fractures. That's what we care right. about. I mean, osteoporosis doesn't- kill you, we care about pelvic fractures. How do we prevent pelvic fractures? We do it by exercise. we do it by making sure that it 's gravity exercise walking, getting on a treadmill, swimming would be good too, but walking and doing on the treadmill would be good strength balance aerobics those are the three pillars of good exercise so making sure that it, you know it, several times a week three to four times a week you get your heart going fast enough so that you sweat, making sure that you do balance activities, Tai Chi, dance, uh, Pilates, anything to improve balance will reduce, you know, you reduce the risk of falling. If you're in the wintertime in Wisconsin, make sure you wear cleats or something on your shoes, you know, so that you don't fall in the middle of the ice. time. Right. Ice. And then keeping the calcium intake reasonable, 1,000, 1,200 milligrams a day, at least half of it should come from natural sources. What's your height? What's your weight?
4: I am a whopping 94 pounds, Uh and Mm -hmm. I'm 5 feet Mm -hmm. and half an inch, and Uh I have been all my life. Okay, so I I have to tell you something.
1: Osteoporosis is more likely to affect thin white women. In other words, there is a genetic predisposition to osteoporosis. But let me assure you, it does not reduce your life expectancy at all.
4: Uh Thank you very much i'll sleep much better. You sleep I much have, better and
1: when you see and when you see your nurse practitioner, you yeah. should tell your nurse practitioner you should say you said it reduced my life expectancy." I spoke to Dr. Pastor on the air, and he said it does not reduce my life expectancy. That is not the case at all. This is not cancer. This is just something we have to attend to to make sure you don't fracture your hip. And if you do, and if you're strong and you do fracture your hip, chances are you're going to survive the fracture and do well because you've got resilience and
0: you've got reserve. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. And we appreciate the call at 800-462-7413.
1: You know, it's very, very interesting how we don't really know what that nurse practitioner said, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting how the nurse practitioner may have said something, and I'm using the word may, and then a patient sitting in the office may have heard something, and I'm using it may, and there's the big gray zone in between. And that's where health information comes in. That's where health literacy comes in. So you say, wait a minute, reduce life expectancy 15 years What am I going to do? Well, actually, that's the idea behind the show. Hmm. The idea behind the show is to give you information so that you can look at information and make decisions. And that's why we're here week after week.
0: 800-462-7413, our number. That's 1-800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, time again now to dive into another embarrassing chapter in the deep history of medical quackery. This is Quacking Up with Dr. Zorba.
5: Quacking Up with Dr.
0: Zorba. Okay, Zorba, uh, water has been used in many ways to attempt to combat disease or cure ailments. But tell us about a few of the different ways Water was used by various physicians on their patients in the 1800s. Well, before I do
1: that, I do want to tell you, Charles Darwin, the great thinker, Charles Darwin was a great believer in the water cures. Even though he had a mysterious, undiagnosed ailment with a bizarre array of symptoms that were never solved, he took the water cures. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Benjamin Rush, who was the father of American psychiatry. He had the cold water cure, and that uh, was a, the idea was to establish Governance over deranged patients. That's what he said. <laughs> By dumping streams of cold water down their sleeves while they were sitting in the office. <laughs> so that's how they, governance over deranged patients. Then there was the continuous hot bath, where you were put in a hot bath, in a tub, continuous flow of hot water, between 95 and 110 oh, degrees. You sat in the You sat in the tub, your face was above the tub, but the rest of your body, they were kept in the tub anywhere from a few hours to a few weeks go and, away, fed. Go and there was a Swedish nurse who recollected in this treatment patients could live there for three weeks at a time in the tub they slept in the tub we fed them in the tub they held their drinking gloves up to their mouths in the tub they peed and defecated in the water go but away. some patients finally got calm and, they, and we let them out of the tub and they finally said no more, no more this sounds like torture because mm. it was Then there was the pelvic douche water. Now, the pelvic douche was not a normal douche. This was a high pressure water douche aimed at the genitals, aimed at the genitals. It was a pleasant alternative to the regular douche. And some people believe that that actually was not actually to solve a problem, but to produce an orgasm. And so that's a different (laughs) type of water cure. So, you know, Basically, I would just stick to the six to eight glasses a day of water and forget all these water cures because they were clearly quackery. Yeah.
0: If um, someone is in the tub for weeks— Yes, for weeks. —and, and then gets out— They'll think that the water did something because they feel so (laughs) good when they they go. That's exactly
1: it. (laughs) And you know what? It finally established governance. If you were kept in the tub, you would say, let me out, let me out, let me (laughs) out. I won't do anything bad. That's exactly it. I don't think it really worked for mental illness like Dr. (laughs) Benjamin Rush said.
0: Do you have an example of medical quackery to dump on us in this segment? Well, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Just send us an email at... Zorba at WPR.org. Back to the phones now, Zorba, at 800-462-7413. We welcome a caller now in Winthrop, Washington. Hi.
5: Hi. How are you all?
0: Fine. How can we help?
5: Well, my husband had melanoma, and he um, had it cut out, and we decided that he should go see a dermatologist. That was recommended, and so we did. And so I thought, well, I should probably do that too at age 60. And so, um, you know, she's burned stuff off my face, and we've been going back every year for the last few years. And and this last time, I told her, you know, I have a lot of cracking lips. I just my lips are always seem to be peeling. And she goes, Oh, let me look at that. So she looked at my lips, and she said, oh, goodness. So she burned off, you know, stuff on my lips. And, of course, it was very uncomfortable. And later on, a week later, it was all blistery and, you know, yucky. And she said, you come back in two months. And so I went back, and she said, well, um, it, you know, you still have some. There's probably some there that we can't even see. So we can either burn it off now or we can give you this cream. Mm-hmm in maybe October Mm -hmm. uh, when the sun's not so intense, and you can put that on for two weeks, and it'll be pretty miserable, but that might kill things that we can't even see. So and then she said, do you want to burn it off now, or you want to wait and do the uh, cream? And I said, well, I don't know. (laughs) What should I do? I I, I wasn't sure about the cream on my lips taking it in, because I know some of it would go in my mouth. So I said, well, why don't you just go ahead and burn this Mm -hmm. off, and then we can reassess in October. So I'm just wondering about this cream. Well, you recommend cream it? Called,
1: The cream that she's probably called—it's called 5FU, 5-fluorouracil. That's the most likely cream, and it's an anti-cancer cream that actually works on basal cell skin cancer. That's the skin cancer that doesn't spread anywhere, but just kind of—if if you don't take care of it—it it can cause sores that don't heal. Uh, and basically, that's a cream that we often use for either uh, something called solar keratoses, which are pre-cancerous skin on the face, or for actually cancers on the face itself. Uh, and the cream is often used for people who have multiple uh, multiple skin cancers or pre-skin cancers. You're right. Near the lips it's going to be more bothersome and more worrisome if you actually uh, swallow the cream. But this particular uh, drug is also used uh, in the body for, for a variety of cancers. It's an old cancer drug that's been around, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And it's used, for instance, for colon cancer. So I, I, I think if anything gets on the if it, anything is swallowed in the mouth I don't know what it would cause with harm but the goal if you were to put it on near the lips is not to actually get it into the mouth and so that it does become difficult because we just lick our lips and keep our lips moist. So you're right to think about it right. I would probably have it I would have it burned off myself or frozen off that's what I would do because you know then you know what you're doing you have control over it and the cream is kind of messy and a little bit sloppy might drip into the lips and I, I wouldn't bother with that and I would definitely I would put it off until the fall if it's nothing dangerous and I'm sure if the doc looked at it and said you could put it off I definitely would put it off. It's, this is not a cancer that spreads it's just a cancer that just slowly grows and uh, you know and destroys the skin that it's on yeah I'd put it but off. What
5: if I just keep getting it burned off all the time? You know, like once a year instead of the cream? Or do you think I should just go ahead and do the cream as well? Well, first of
1: all, you may get it burned off, and they may not come back. The other things that that they find are really because these are other cancers that are on your that are on your face from being in the sun. Did you were you a sun worshiper when you were a child?
5: I was a river guide, and of course, we didn't have sun. Green. When we were children, we had copper tone. Lay out as long as you can and get a can. Right. <laughs> That's right.
1: But anyway, I would continue doing uh, doing what you're doing. If it needs to be burned off, treat it locally better than the cream. If they can, if you can handle it.
5: Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking my call.
0: You're welcome. Yeah, we appreciate it. Eight hundred four six two seven four one three is our number. That's one eight hundred four six two seven four one three. Now, before we head out today, Zorba, let's share a funny email we received from a loyal listener named Dorothy in Oregon, Wisconsin. And Zorba, I, Carl, our program producer, Carl Christensen says, I'm not allowed to read this. You're not allowed. To no, read no, this. I'm so, reading yeah, this one. Okay.
1: So, Dear Zorba and Tom. do you like that introduction? Dear Zorba and Tom. Is I'm kind of used to Tom? it, yeah. Dear Tom and Zorba. I'm going to change the way that is. Listening to the program today, I heard you read... My contribution from an old cookbook, the contribution was, for dog bites, what you do is you burn it out with a red-hot poker. Well, Mm -hmm. years ago, when you, Tom, were on a morning call-in show, you remember you did that show for years and years and years.
0: I'm (laughs) looking back. Yeah, I think I could remember that.
1: (laughs) It was asked. You asked people to call in with an idea for a motto for the current year's Wisconsin State Fair, and the winner would get a WPR t-shirt. Do you remember that? I,
0: I kind of do, yeah. Kind
1: of do. So I called in and I sang, When I'm Calling Moo, to the tune of the Indian Love Call. You liked it so much that you declared me the winner right on the spot, and I won a T-shirt. So, Tom, you and I have a past. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thanks so much I appreciate that memory memory.
1: Okay Tom Now let me tell you a little bit about Who sang the most popular version of this song Do you remember Slim Whitman?
0: Vaguely, I wasn't a big fan You
1: weren't a big fan Well first let's hear the song that Dorothy is talking about
2: When I'm calling you
0: I, I, that's why I wasn't a big fan that's of why Slim you Whitman. a big fan of <laughs> <laughs> Well, Slim Whitman recorded more
1: than 500 songs. Michael Jackson named him as one of his favorite vocalists. Can you believe that? George Harrison credited him as an early influence. Paul McCartney said Mr. Whitman gave him the idea of playing guitar left-handedly. Elvis Presley actually professionally appeared in 1954. He opened for Slim Whitman and got $50 for going on there. And in 1996, Tim Burton's comedy, Mars Attack, Slim Whitman's yodeling, high octave rendition of that very song, the Indian love song, causes the heads of the invading Martians to explode, thereby (laughs) saving planet Earth. It's exactly it. Well, folks, Do you have something to contribute to the show? (laughs) Share your story with us. Just send us an email. That's zorba at wpr.org. And I think we've heard enough of
0: Slim Whitman. Yeah, this show has to end very quickly. (laughs) If you missed anything during the show or just want to download our show podcast, visit us on the web at ZorbaPastor.org or of course through Facebook. Don't forget, you can call us anytime at 800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sidron. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health.
5: Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's Healthy Living Articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.